0: Alright, the timer has begun. Um, I was noticing, though, up here that I really think there were a couple of things that could be stacked and I could have moved the podium and still stood behind it. So I'm I'm not sure about this arrangement for today, but the timer's running. We'll keep it at 20 minutes. And um, blessings to you all for having uh, achieved uh, the gathering of all this food that will be shared in the name of Christ with others. Today... And, oddly enough as we consider the food we consider the topic of fasting so we have talked about the idea of what it means in the bible for what meditation was and that was primarily a concept we looked at from the old old testament and that old covenant and i allowed you to kind of think you know how do you want to apply this to yourself and i'm encouraging you to to memorize god's word have his words on your mouth, actually speaking His words, thinking about His words. That way the, His words are in your mind and on your heart daily. And if we can do that, if we can meditate upon God's Word when we're coming and going, and here and there when we lie down, when we get up, if we can meditate on God's Word like that, it will lead us into prayer. We will have good things to pray for. And we will know what we actually should be praying for. What things are truly worthy of our prayers. All right. Sorry, I had to fix this for a second. So now we're going to do another follow-up. So we've talked about meditation leading us to prayer. And there's another thing connected with prayer in the scripture, especially if you go through the, the Gospels. and uh, Prayer and fasting. Usually it's read as fasting and prayer. And fasting is a topic we usually don't talk too much about. Fasting is something that we're really not programmed to do or that we discuss, at least amongst our group here. Um, In many of the churches that I've been to in the past, we just, uh, it doesn't get mentioned a lot. So, I want to ask today, do you fast? And then the real question is, should you? Does scripture invite you into fasting as a part of meditation, fasting, and prayer? All right, so first of all, I want to go to the New Testament. There's an interesting concept as we start to figure out what biblical fasting is all about. We go to its use in Acts 27.9. And it says here, and this is in relationship to Paul's journeys and traveling through that ocean on his way to Rome. It says, and because of considerable time had had passed and the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over. Paul strongly recommended, don't do this. Okay, so because of the fast, the fast was already over. This is an obvious indication that, hey, there's a, an issue with weather because the fast is already gone. This is a particular point in time that has come and gone, and so we need to be careful about what we do. Winter has come upon us. And this is accepted, and this is accurate. The fast is referring to the Day of Atonement. So some commentary from the preacher's homiletic commentary. Uh, It says sailing meant further prosecution of the voyage. The the fast signified the great day of atonement. And that's from Leviticus 16. We're going to turn there in a second. And also it's discussed in Leviticus 23. And uh, Josephus had some information about the day of atonement too. And then it says which the Jews celebrated on the 10th. Uh, Tisri, um, in other words, about the beginning of October, after which season, according to Philo, no prudent man thought of putting out to sea. So hey, when the fast comes, once the day of atonement comes, everybody stays off the Mediterranean Sea. Well, except for Paul and his voyage, they went ahead and, and went a little bit farther, but they got into some real trouble. So anyhow, the fast... In the New Testament, the fast is referring to the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement. So obviously, the Day of Atonement talks about fasting. So let's turn there to Leviticus 16 and and see what it says about fasting. And my phone goes to sleep, so now I I didn't even think about that. I'm going to be running blind here on the time. I'm going to have to be very careful today. Leviticus 16, verses 29 through 31. It says, this shall be a permanent statute for you. In the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall humble your souls and not do any work, whether the native or the alien who sojourns among you. For it is on this day that atonement shall be made for you to cleanse you. You will be clean from all your sins before the Lord. It is, a, it is to be a Sabbath of solemn rest for you. That you may humble your souls. It is a permanent statute. And you might ask yourself, wait a second. Okay, there's got to be other passages about this Day of Atonement because this doesn't mention what we're interested in, right? Did you hear me at all? Did these words mention at all a fast? Were were they told to fast? Well, if you want to go to those other passages about the Day of Atonement that are mentioned... You'll look there and you'll search too, and it doesn't specify a fast. But, let's consider a phrase here. It says, this shall be a permanent statue. Back to verse 29. Permanent statue, seventh month, tenth day. You shall humble your souls. You shall humble your souls. A couple verses later, it says it again. It is to be a Sabbath of solemn rest for you. That you may humble your souls. That you may humble your souls. So it's kind of a, you know, we look at humbling ourselves. We humble ourselves before God. We lower ourselves. We kind of know our place. That's why we bow our heads when we pray. We are humbling ourselves. Lowering ourselves before the one who is higher than us. Acknowledging him as greater. So that makes sense. But there's a little bit more to this idea of humbling your souls. The word "humble" there is from a Hebrew word that has the uh, consonants N and an "h" in it. I don't know much about it other than this definition, and it says, "Be wretched." This is a definition of "humble" that's used in that passage: "To be wretched, emaciated, cringe, crouch, hunched up, wretched, suffering, bend, submit to, oppress, humiliate, to do violence. So we can see a little bit of why "humiliate" is used there. But you can also see why the ESV makes a great translation. I think they make a great choice in their translation. And they translate it, instead of humble your soul, they translate it afflict your soul. The idea of affliction, it's putting yourself in difficulty. And so we go back and we look at this passage and when it says on the seventh day, 10th day of the month, you shall afflict your souls. That's the idea of humbling here. And maybe other translations have other things that kind of point to this too. But you shall afflict your souls. How would you afflict your soul? Well, one way to afflict your soul for a day is to not eat. That's the way you afflict your life. Don't eat. Don't work. Hey, that sounds like the easy part of it. That sounds like not affliction. That's a good thing. But if you're not eating when you're not working... There's still some affliction going on there, that's for sure. So it says that twice. It is to be a Sabbath of solemn rest for you, that you may humble your souls. In other words, you shall afflict your souls. It's a permanent statute for under the law of Moses. All right, so a verse that kind of goes along with this and helps us to understand this completely is in Psalm 35. So you can compare this verse, confer with it. And it says, in Psalm 35, the writer says, But it's for me, when they were sick, talking about these people who were his friends, not his friends. When they were sick, my clothing was sackcloth. So that was his response to their sickness. He was going to mourn with them. They were sick and hurting. He was going to acknowledge their sickness. He, and then he says, I humbled my soul with fasting. And my prayer kept returning to my bosom. So you notice here is this idea of when the New American Standard says, I humbled my soul with fasting. We know that we could also translate that. And what we probably should be thinking about is that I afflicted my soul with fasting. So one way to afflict your soul, to afflict your life, is with fasting. Fasting. And notice in connection with this, there's a reason to be fasting. There is a problem. There is an issue. There is something wrong that needed to be prayed about. And so he acknowledges that he was praying, but that prayer kept returning to him. In my mind, I'm really curious about that. But in my mind, I think it means that his prayer wasn't working. And it was because of the problem with the friends, not because of a problem with him. So he says, my prayer, he was Afflicting his soul with fasting so that he could pray to God. So afflict your soul with fasting and pray to God. Something's wrong. Something that is so wrong that it's worthy of you saying, Hey, I've got to do something, God needs to do something about this. I'm going to address him in prayer, and it's such a degree that I'm going to put aside physical things and enter into prayer. I'm going to fast and pray. All right, so if things are bad spiritually, and these are my words, this is my just looking at these two passages from Leviticus 16 about the Day of Atonement. And thinking about that passage from Psalm 35, just going there and saying, all right, so what's the basic thing that we can learn about fasting or about afflicting our souls with fasting? And I think it's this, if things are bad spiritually, if something's wrong, fasting makes the physical body reflect that truth. So something is wrong spiritually, so, you know, everything shouldn't be right with my body. I've got, there's something wrong spiritually and in my mind, something wrong in the spiritual realm, so I'm going to make something wrong with my body, too. Because I'm going to focus, it's going to reflect that spiritual truth. So, specifically then, relating to the passages we've read. Leviticus 16, talking about the Day of Atonement. Atoning for sins is a weighty matter. It's huge, this is one of the two great feasts that they celebrated. This is a big day, and it's because of sin. We have sin. We need that sin removed from us. It needs to be atoned for. We need some kind of covering to protect us. Atoning for sins is a weighty matter, so afflict yourself with fasting. And I guarantee they spent a lot of as they were not going to work. They were spending time thinking about God, praying. It's a weighty matter. It's a spiritual matter. Afflict yourself with fasting. Illness was a grave danger. Somebody's life is at stake. So afflict yourself with fasting and pray. And pray. So you, you take your mind off of eating, you focus on praying, and uh, you've got that affliction going on, acknowledging that something is wrong. Here's another one that we'll consider from Ezra 8, 21 through 23. You can go ahead and be turning there. We're going to look at that passage next. And it says, when you need God's help, this is my summary, when you need God's help, afflict yourself with fasting and pray. I think this is very evident from this next passage. It was evident in the psalm passage. It's evident here in Ezra. So let's look at this passage. Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river of Ahava, that we might humble ourselves, that we might afflict ourselves. Is the word that's used there, so that we might afflict ourselves before our God to seek from Him a safe journey for us. This is when they were coming back from the, uh, the, the from Babylon, from the place of exile, and they wanted to return to the Promised Land. So they wanted a safe passage. Wanted Him us. Wanted God to give them a safe passage, a journey for our little ones and for all our possessions. For I was ashamed to request from the king troops and horsemen to protect us from the enemy on the way. Because we had said to the king, the hand of our God is favorably disposed to all who seek him. But his power and his anger are against all those who forsake him. So... We fasted, and it's actually the word fasted, it's not a word for afflicted. So we fasted and sought our God concerning this matter. And he listened to our entreaty. So notice they had begun with humbling themselves, that we might humble ourselves. They proclaimed a fast to afflict their bodies, and it resulted in then them fasting and seeking God. Afflict yourselves with fasting so that you can pray. Request something from God. Alright, so that's the the basic concept. And the thought is that, hey, if things are bad spiritually, then we're going to go into fasting to afflict our body and make that body, our physical body, reflect the nature of the spiritual problem. Alright, an example from the New Testament. Jesus... Matthew chapter 4, 40 days and 40 nights of fasting. Um, and as you note, it, it, you can go through here and look. It doesn't say, at least in the Matthew passage, I didn't look at Luke. But it doesn't mention praying. He's spending 40 days and 40 nights out here fasting. And you can consider, you know, I use the, I use the word pray praying, he fasted and prayed. I, I don't think anybody's going to uh, doubt that that was true. When he was fasting, not eating, he wasn't doing anything, right? He wasn't out there to work, he wasn't moving rocks, he wasn't singing lullabies, he was praying to God. No doubt about that. So let's look at this. Jesus needed his Father's help to overcome temptation, so he fasted and prayed. That's what this verse bears out. Matthew 4, 1 through 4. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Fasting and praying. He did it to overcome temptation. He had something worth fasting and praying about, and it's interesting, the fasting and praying led to the temptation, but he overcame that temptation because he had meditated upon the word of God, and he said, man shall not live on bread alone, a quote from Deuteronomy, and we're going to start with that passage next week on sermon number two on, fat, on this topic of fasting. It'll be our second and last sermon on fasting. But man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And we've kind of go full circle right here with this passage. Because Jesus was meditating on the word of God. That's why, and he had that word on his lips ready to answer the devil. So he knew the word of God. He meditated upon the words of his father, his very own words, the words of God. And that enabled him, then he, as he entered into affliction, he afflicted himself with fasting, he entered into more prayer and more meditation upon the word of God. So, as you meditate, and again, I'll, I'll go back and I'll make the point that, that, that I did when I did that sermon. I don't see a biblical mandate necessarily in the New Testament that says you have to meditate but I think you look at scripture and you understand the concept of meditation. You know the importance of meditating on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Let those words, let those thoughts that are in your heart, on your mind. Let those words guide you to pray for things of biblical importance. This, is, this will change us. Meditate and then you got some things to pray about, and some of those things better rise to the level of, this is so important, I need to fast and pray. Now, I'd encourage you, too, as you think about this, um, you know, maybe if you're younger, you can fast a little longer, but Um, If you don't have any physical health, if you don't have any health issues, you might be able to fast longer. But I think every one of us probably, unless we have diabetes, you can probably skip one meal and be dedicated to fasting and praying about something. Afflict yourself for a moment, for a time, and not eat and focus on prayer. (laughs) Now don't get too excited. I had said it for 19 minutes so I could end. One minute left. Pray for those things that are important. And I want to ask you what things are so important that you are compelled to afflict yourself with fasting and make your request to God in prayer. You know the Word of God. You know what's important. Turn to Him in prayer As you're fasting and putting his word and his issues, things that matter to him above all else, even a meal. That is how we should be looking at our lives this week. I encourage you to do that. And if you're not a Christian, I encourage you to think about this. Getting your life right with God is more important than your next meal. If you haven't given your life to Christ, if you haven't become a follower of Jesus by being immersed to wash away your sins, I, I'd suggest you skip your next meal and be thoughtful about it and pray about it. Talk to God a little bit and decide if He's calling you to get your life right with Him. And I encourage you, be a follower of Jesus by being immersed to wash away your sins. Next week, we will continue with fasting But right now, at this moment, we're going to get our minds, our hearts right, ready for a very, very, the most important meal we will ever partake the Lord's Supper.